Let's pray. Jesus, we just sang about offering our whole selves to you. And, and we love that thought, Jesus. We don't offer ourselves to you grudgingly or through gritted teeth, but we love the thought of, of everything that we are belonging to you. And we want to offer our whole selves to you, Lord, now in, in these minutes of, of, of your word being proclaimed. And as I take up again just the, the humble role of a herald, I pray that it would be your word, Lord, that is heard in your word that is received. If there's anyone who is going to listen to these words who does not yet believe in the Lord Jesus, would you grant them faith? Would you help them to see how, how wonderful he is? And would they uh, place their faith in him? And for those who listen to these words who are believing, would you strengthen and confirm their faith and deepen, Lord, their resolve and their strength by your Holy Spirit to obey and submit gladly to the reign of Jesus in every area of their lives. Would you grant us all faith, Lord? And would you use this message to propel us into the new year, walking into it with eyes wide open and fixed on you? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. As we, as we begin today, as we begin, I want to start by asking a question. Why are we talking about this? One of the reasons I asked that question is that if I was honest, I would rather not be talking about this topic this morning. If it was up to me, after everything we went through in 2020 and 2021, all the talking and writing and conversations we had to have about the topic of God and government, I did not feel like talking about this topic again for a long time. But here we are, and what we're experiencing right this morning is one of the huge benefits of preaching through books of the Bible like this, and we are forced to deal with topics that we wouldn't have dealt with otherwise. And I believe this is really important. I believe this is one of the ways, even one of the key ways that God shapes us as a church is not by us picking our favorite things to talk about, but by us letting God decide what we're going to talk about as we come upon these passages in his words. So as an act of submission on my part, I, I began to study this passage this week and the first big answer to why are we talking about this is that's what Peter's talking about. And so that's, that's what we're going to do. And we're going to do it gladly. Now, there's a second way, though, that we could answer the question, why are we talking about this this morning? Why are we talking about God and government? And that has to do with why is Peter talking about this this morning? Okay, so we're talking about it because that's what Peter's talking about. But why is Peter talking about it? Why in the, in the flow of this letter that he writes, does he talk about the relationship that followers of Jesus should have with the government and with human authorities. Well, let's remember where we are in the letter. And there's a reason we just read a big chunk of it together is after, after a long introduction of unpacking the, uh, the implications of the gospel 
the, the fruit of the gospel, the, the, the big picture of what God has done and what God is going to do. Peter's been helping us understand how to live in accordance with the gospel. And beginning in verse 22 of chapter 1, he specifically has been focusing on our relationships with each other. As people who have been saved by Jesus, we've been called, we've been put together into a body, into a family, and he's been helping us understand uh, how, how, this, how this looks and, and what this is. In chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, which we just read together, contains some of the most strong and beautiful statements, not just in Peter, but maybe even in the whole New Testament, about our corporate identity. And corporate just means together as a body, okay? Our, our group identity as the people of God based on what Jesus did for us when he bought us on the cross with his own blood and sent his Holy Spirit, caused us to be born again and is pulling us, drawing us together into his people. And then in, in, in verse 11, here still in chapter two here, Peter made what might have felt like a pivot, like a, like a change of subject, as, as he started to talk about the inner struggle that we each have with the desires of, of our flesh. He said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions or desires or lusts, all the same word, from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. But this wasn't really a change of topic. If, if we've been created to be a new people in Christ, then that means we're going to be strangers in this world. Okay, so he says, as sojourners and exiles, strangers, aliens, all different words you could use there. That's, that's just a fruit of us being this new people of God. We're strangers and exiles in this world. And as we refuse to live in the darkness of the lusts that he called us out of, we're going to stick out as much as if we got here from another country or even another planet. And so verse 11 is not a subject change when he, said, when he goes from, you're the people of God, this is who you are, as sojourners and aliens, abstain from the passions of your flesh. He's calling us to live out our identity, to live in accordance with our identity, to put our identity into practice. And then verse 12 just, just fleshes this out even further when, he, when it says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. So Gentiles, they're speaking for those who don't believe in Jesus. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, when they're going to slander you, they're going to say all kinds of terrible things about you. When they do that, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter's showing us here that, that killing our sinful passions, abstaining from the passions of the flesh, isn't about us going off into the desert or into a monastery to live little holy lives off by ourselves somewhere. That's what people throughout history have done. I've got to withdraw and, and go off by myself and become a monk. And, and, and Jesus is saying, no, it's er, Peter uh, actually really drawing on what Jesus said in Matthew 5.17. But Peter is saying, uh, this is about living honorable lives out in public in front of the world so that they see our good deeds. And even though they might say terrible things, that they're, they're going to bring glory to God when, when he visits them. And this connects back to our mission, like we saw in verse 9 to proclaim his excellencies. And so our good, our, our, our good lives full of good deeds 
abstaining from sin and, and living holy lives backs up the words that we speak as we proclaim how good God is. See, this is all connected. That's just what we're wanting to see here. It's all, it's all connected. Peter's not just changing the subject. A new humanity proclaiming God's glory with our mouths, killing our sinful desires so that we live in a, in a different, a distinct way that draws attention to God. And with that in the background, with that just kind of right there, we can see that when we get to verse 13, it's not a new topic. It's not a change of subject. Rather, when Peter says in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, he's giving us one specific way that we put verses 9 to 12 into practice. Okay, so verses 9 to 12, and even maybe specifically 11 to 12, this is the general idea. Kill your sin, live honorable lives in front of the world. That's the big idea. And now here's, this, here's a specific way that you do that. Here's one of the specific ways you submit to the authorities. This is one of the main ways that we live honorable lives that silence, slander, and bring glory to God. It's one of the ways that we abstain from sinful passions. The sinful passion that wants to do whatever we want without anybody telling us what to do. You don't think there's sinful passions that go on when people refuse to submit to authorities? You better believe it. So it's connected. And, and Peter's telling us to submit to the authorities. There's another way this is connected because think about this. What did he tell us in verses 9 and 10? You are a chosen race, a holy nation. And like we said, those are not just like, like metaphors, like word pictures. No, this is reality. This is who you are. You're a, we're a new nation, a whole new humanity, a whole new way to be human. And, and if that's true... If we're God's people, a royal priesthood, a whole new humanity, then it's a fair question. Why do we still need to submit to human governments? If you've never asked that question, it might be a sign that you maybe haven't fully taken seriously your identity as a new nation, a people, the people of God. See, I, I, I still wonder how much we see Christianity as just a personal spirituality, a personal, my, my personal relationship with Jesus, Jesus and me, that kind of thing. And, and we don't realize that, no, this, this is actually real. Jesus is a real king on a real throne, ruling over real people. And if that's true, then why do we have to listen to human governments anymore? Isn't that kind of like still showing up for class when the bell rings after you've graduated from high school? I mean, when you were in high school, you had to show up when the bell rang, but you're out of high school now. It doesn't apply to you anymore. And isn't that, wouldn't that be true for us now that we belong to Jesus, that the, the rules and laws and authority structures of, of mere humans just, they just don't apply to us anymore? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a logical connection to make? And in some ways, if you were to think that way, it would show that you're taking this seriously, which is good. But how important is it for us who have been made a new people under King Jesus, how important is it for us to line up for the bell of human government 
Well, with all of this, you can see that there's some pretty good reasons why Peter's talking about this issue. It's, it's all, all connected. That's all we've really been seeing here for the past few moments. It's all connected. So that's why we're talking about this today. This connects to verse 9, 10, 11, 12. And we've got to answer this. So Peter writes, verses 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then he gives some examples. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. What's the main command here in these verses? Main command is at the very beginning of verse 13. Be subject. Uh, you could translate this as submit. That'd be a great way of translating this. Same, same kind of idea. Put yourself under the authority of. That's what it's saying. Get underneath authority. Peter uses this, this verb in different ways six times in, in this letter of 1 Peter. He uses it in verse 18 to talk about servants submitting to their masters. In chapter 3, about wives submitting to their husbands. Of Jesus, who has all the angelic powers subjected to him in chapter 3. And then, and then in chapter 5, about younger people in the church being subject to the elders. So it's a word, like we've said, that speaks about submission to authority. Now, now in the one case of Jesus subjecting the angelic powers to himself, it's talking about, about Jesus making that happen. But in each of these other uses, it's talking about us willingly subjecting ourselves to authority. Us willingly submitting to that authority. So he's not saying, masters, make your slaves be subject to you. Husbands, make your wives submit to you. Instead, he's saying to the people, you be subject. And similarly here, he's saying that we willingly, voluntarily be subject to, and what's it say here? In the, in the ESV translation, it says every human institution. I just got to give you a warning here. There's a few times this morning we've got to look at translation issues. And, and just a, a brief brush up, if, if you're not familiar with this, Peter wrote this letter originally in the Greek language. And, and if you know another language, you know that translating one language into another language is never straightforward. And there's a few times here where we've got to talk about what he said in the original language. And I don't like to do that. I just... Generally, the good translations are good, but, but there's, there's a few times where there's different decisions that are making. We've got to talk about that. Let's talk about this phrase here. Be subject to the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Whatever legitimate human authority exists, Peter says, submit to it. Be subject to it. Whatever it is. Really broad phrase. Now, let's talk about this word institution. Be subject to the Lord's sake for every, to every human institution. In, in the original language, the word that Peter uses here that we see translated as institution is just the word for creation or creature. It's really interesting. You could say, you could translate this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human creature. Every human creation. 
Now, it's pretty clear, well, just, just before we go on, every other time this word, the word used here for institution, every other time it's used in the New Testament, it's used to talk about creation, God's creation, the stuff that God has made. Now, here in verse 13, most of the English translations translate it uh, institution or authority or even a, an old word like ordinance because it's pretty clear from the context that Peter's talking about authority structures because he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be, and he starts giving examples, and what's, what are the examples he gives? Whether it be to the emperor or to governor. So, so we know from context that he's talking about authorities. But if he's talking about authorities, why doesn't he just say be subject to every human authority? Why does he say every human creation or creature? That's, 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 that's what it says. Well, there's probably a few reasons. One is it's just really broad, right? There's Christians who say, well, they, they had to submit to the Roman emperor because, you know, they lived in a dictatorship. But we're in a democracy. We don't have to submit to anybody. Okay, well, that, this sort of blows that out of the water, right? Because he says every human authority. But here, here's another thing that, that, that's important, thinking about the Roman world that Peter was in. Do you see what Peter's done here? Peter has said that the Roman emperor is just what? A human creature. That the governors sent by the Roman emperor are just what? Just parts of God's creation. That's the word he's using. Do you remember what we saw last week? That in the Roman world, they thought and they worshipped the emperors as if they were gods. They built temples to the emperors. They offered sacrifices to the emperors. They had coins with Caesar's face on them that said, you know, son of God. Like they, 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 they were literally worshipped the emperors. And so when Peter calls those emperors human creatures, what's he doing? He's putting them in their place. He's saying, yeah, be subject to them, but, but they're just people. They're, they're not gods. They're just a part of God's creation like anybody else. Emperors, governors, presidents, prime ministers, premiers, mayors, whatever they are, they're just, they're just a part of God's creation. They're not above creation. But by using this very broad phrase, every human creation or every human institution, Peter's telling us that all Christians everywhere should submit to any legitimate human authority. That's the command. That's what he's telling us to do. So let's ask the big question. Why? Wonderful pattern in the New Testament. Almost all the time, that we're given commands, we're told why. We're given reasons. We've talked about this in the parenting workshops, right? We, we don't just say, because I said so. I mean, if we have to say that, it's very rarely. We want to give reasons because that's what God does. And that's what Peter does for us here. Why, if emperors and governors and presidents and prime ministers and whoever, if they're just people like us, why should we get under their authority? Why should we submit to them? Especially if Jesus is our king and we're part of a whole new creation. 
Well, Peter's answer comes initially right there in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake. We submit because that's what God wants us to do. We can't miss, though, I just, I, I, I love this, how even this little phrase, the Lord's sake, undercuts the claims of, of the Roman Empire. See, in the Roman Empire, who was Lord? Caesar. That was their catchphrase. Caesar is Lord. And so when the Christians showed up and said, Jesus is Lord, that was a direct counterclaim. That was, that, that was saying, no, Rome, you're wrong. Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so it's likely that when the Christians read, be subject for the Lord's sake, and they know that the Lord there is talking about the Lord Jesus, they would have seen that as, as, a, as at, least, at least a very gentle, subtle dig. Maybe dig is too strong of a word, but, but basically it's a correction, saying, no, Caesar's not Lord. The Lord is not Caesar. I mean, if a Roman, just a secular Roman said, the Lord, they meant Caesar. P- Peter, no, no, that's Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. At the very least, Peter's registering his disagreement with that idea that Caesar's Lord. No, it's Jesus. But for the sake of the Lord Jesus, submit to human government, even if that government is falsely claiming to be the Lord. You see that? The, Caesar said, I'm Lord. Peter says, no, you're not, but I'm going to submit to you anyways. Okay? Don't, don't miss that. We willingly submit to human government because the real Lord, the Lord Jesus, tells us to. Now, why would he do that? Why would the Lord Jesus have us submit to Caesar and his governors or or any other human authority? And the answer gets unpacked in verse 15. For, because, okay. Here's the reason. This is the will of God. Thus the will of God. Okay, here's the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Foolish people, in their ignorance, are going to say things about Christians that are not true. And just a quick thought here. In a, few, in a couple of verses, Peter's going to say, honor everyone. And here he says, foolish people. Honoring people doesn't mean we don't speak the truth. And when someone's being a fool, Peter's willing to say foolish people without dishonoring them. Foolish people in their ignorance are going to say things about God's people, about Christians that are not true. And so submitting to the government is one of the ways that we do good and silence those people by proving them wrong. Now, there's some people who, who say, look in this phrase, do good, and they see more than just submitting. They, they see this as a call for Christians to actively be engaged in doing good for our communities. And there's some question whether that's what Peter has in mind. But at the very least, we know that he's saying that submitting, being subject, is one of the ways that we do good, and we put to silence the slander of foolish people. So you see, we're not far from verse 12 here, where he said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, 
Ah, those stupid Christians. You know, when they say stuff like that, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And in verse 15, he's saying, okay, here's one way that you do that. Submit to the government. Back in the Roman era, back in Peter's day, Christians had all kinds of wicked things said about them. You know, one of the things that Christians were called, they were called atheists. Isn't that funny? They were called atheists because they refused to worship all of the different Roman gods. I mean, how silly was that just to have one God? You know, we've got the opposite problem today where just having one God is, is, is a problem. But they, they, were, they were criticized because they didn't participate in the religious festivals, the public religious festivals, which were just a part of the, the culture, right? Religion and culture were just so intertwined and the Christians didn't take part. They were accused of being against Rome, of being against the emperor. They were accused, I mean, look at Acts 17, of upsetting the whole world. That was a big charge in that day. Because finally, after years of war, the Caesars had brought peace to Rome. They were enjoying the Pax Romana, the, the era of peace. And along come the Christians, disturbing the peace. They were criticized for that. And there's a reason that shortly after Peter wrote this letter, systematic government-sponsored persecution against Christians broke out on a wide scale and went on in, 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 in seasons of intensity for hundreds of years because Christians were seen as a threat to the whole Roman way of life, a threat to the very fabric of society. And Peter says the way that Christians combat all of these lies is not by fighting for their rights or launching public relations campaigns or making memes about the silly politicians, but by doing good. And one of the main ways they do good is by submitting to the authorities. And by doing that, they silence the ignorance of foolish people if they're willing to listen. Today, Christians are accused of all kinds of untrue things, aren't we? We're accused of of hatred, of being bigots. When we don't agree with someone, we're accused of being phobic of them, and all kinds of things. And Peter's telling us to deal with this barrage of slander, not by getting into arguments with the world, not by writing snarky blog posts, not by making up memes, but by doing good. And just like for Peter's readers, I mean, we're among them, right? There's not a big difference here. One of the main ways in this passage that we do good is by being subject to the authorities. And, and, and I, I shouldn't have to say this, but just, just to be clear here, by telling us to be subject for the Lord's sake, Peter's not saying that we only have to obey the government when they're telling us to do things that God has already told us to do. Okay. That's an idea that I think like four years ago I'd never heard of. But during COVID, this idea kind of picked up steam that, that the government's job is to punish evil and reward good, right? Verse 14 says that. Okay, fair enough. Well, who gets to decide what's evil and what's good? Well, God does in his word. Therefore, Governments are supposed to enforce God's word. And if the government tries to tell you to do something that's not in God's word, you don't have to listen. And there's people, really smart people, who taught this kind of thing during COVID. And this reasoning, it might make some logical sense, 
but it wanders very far from what the Word of God says. Because just think about this. Just think about this. If Christians only had to submit to the government when the government told us to do things in the Bible, then why would Peter have to tell us to submit to the government? Because then, of course, we would, because it's what God told us to do. If the government is just telling us to do what God wants, then of course we're going to go along with it and we would not have to be told to submit. No, Peter has to tell us to submit to the government because he knows that the government is going to tell us to do all kinds of things that are inconvenient and unpleasant, like pay taxes or travel to Bethlehem for a census or carry a Roman soldier's load for a mile. Okay, that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5.41 when he says, if anyone forces you to go a mile, that was a term for this Roman law where a Roman soldier could pick any civilian and say, carry my baggage, and you had to do it for a mile. This was unfair, it was oppressive, and Jesus says, go two miles. Peter has to tell us to submit to the government because naturally we're not going to want to. We're naturally going to think, hey, I belong to King Jesus. You have no authority over me. I don't need to listen to you, especially with these silly things you're telling me to do. And Peter says, yes, you do have to do that because by doing good, by doing good in this way, you will silence their slander and bring glory to God. So, we've just dealt with verse 15 and the question of why. Why? Because the Lord said so. And why did the Lord say so? Because submitting to the authorities is one of the ways that we silence slander and bring glory to God. In verse 16, Peter approaches another set of questions that we might ask that would be connected to the word how. How should we approach this issue of submitting? What, what should our frame of mind be as we approach this, this issue of submitting to the government, submitting to authorities? How should we see ourselves as we do this? And Peter answers this question for us in verse 16. Live as people who are free. So that that word as is answering the question how. How should we do this? As people who are free. And what we want to see here is, is that verse 16 is not changing the subject. Peter's still talking about submitting to the authorities. And like I said, there's there's some translation issues here. In the original language, if you were to read this in the Greek New Testament, verse 16, this first phrase would just say as free. That's, that's actually that's all it says, as free. As those who are free, in other words. And, and so we ask the question, well, do what as free? As free, like what? And so that's why translators behind the ESV and the NIV, they put the word live in there. Because they understand when Peter says, as free, what he's saying is, live as people who are free. But I'll be honest, I'm not sure that the word live actually is, is the best word to, to have there. Because if you just look at how this all flows, the word as, the phrase as free, what's it connected to? What's the main command here? Submit, be subject. 
And so I think there's another, a newer translation called the, the CSB, Christian Standard Bible, and it translates verse 16 this way. Submit as free people. Submit as free people. I think, that's, I think that's better because that's showing that Peter has not changed the subject. He's still talking about submitting. How should you submit? Submit as free people. Now, of course, of course we live as free people as well, right? So, so the ESV is not wrong, but I think the CSB there is closer to what Peter's actually saying. Submit as free people. That's, okay, so we've dealt with the translation piece. And, and again, I, I feel bad about this, but we kind of have to, okay? Submit as free people. Submit as those who are free. Now, let's just think about that. Does that sound strange to you? Aren't submit and free, aren't those opposites? If we're free, that means we don't have to submit, right? That's how we think in the modern world. So often we think in political terms and we think freedom is the ability to do what you want, to direct your own affairs, to make your own decisions, to be the captain of your own fate without anybody else telling you what to do, without your parents, without the government, without anybody else telling you what to do. That's freedom. But that is not what the Bible means when it talks about freedom. The Bible Nowhere tells Christians while we're living in this age to expect or demand the political freedom to do whatever we want. It's just not there. And you're you're allowed to disagree with me right now, but if you do, I, I humbly challenge you to go find a place in the New Testament where Christians are told to expect or demand political freedom. Find a place where the Bible guarantees us that we get to live in a democracy. Right? We think it's a divine right that we would live in a properly functioning democracy. It's just not there in the Bible. Do you know that up till just a few decades before Jesus was born, Rome had been quite a bit more democratic than it was under the Caesars? Do you find a single verse in the New Testament that says, fight for the power of the people? It's not there. Do you find a single verse in the New Testament that says, defy tyrants? You know, since COVID, I see Christians walking around with t-shirts that say, defy tyrants. That is unbiblical. It's just not there. Caesar was a tyrant. And Peter tells Christians to submit to him. Because Christian freedom is not about us being willing, being able to do whatever we want without government interference. I, I, know, I know Christians in the last few months who have moved to other countries for f- the sake of freedom. That is not the freedom that the Bible talks about. Christian freedom is about being released from slavery to sin and the devil so that we are able to do what God wants. That's Christian freedom. We could go all over the New Testament to see this, all over the New Testament. But, I mean, go to Jesus and the Pharisees, it means everywhere. But, but one of the best places is just verse 16 here. Peter says, submit to this tyrannical dictatorial government as those who are free. 
So clearly, the freedom he's talking about is not freedom from the government. Rather, it's recognizing that we have been freed from all other lords. Satan, sin, Caesar, we're we're free and we belong to Christ alone. And in Christ, we freely submit to the human authorities as he's told us to because we realize that those human authorities actually have no real power over us. Jesus has all the power over us and if they want to make us do some simple things like pay taxes or wear a mask or whatever, who really cares in the big scope of things because we belong to Jesus and we know where we're headed and we're free to obey. And this gets even clearer the more we move into the next phrase, which says, not using your freedom as a cover-up, a veil for evil. Isn't that what so many people do with so-called freedom? They say, I'm free, and now I get to do whatever I want. Like Simba's fantasy in The Lion King, right? No one's saying do this, no one's saying be there. No one's saying stop that, no one's saying see here. Free to run around all day, free to do it all my way. I'm sorry for getting that song stuck in your head, but it sums up so well what many people think of by freedom, and yet the Bible would look at that and say, no, that's actually slavery. In his second letter, Peter writes about false teachers who promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. Doing whatever you want is not freedom. That's, that's the worst kind of slavery. True freedom is being found as God calls us out of darkness into his light so that we are free to do whatever he wants. And that's what Peter says in the last part of verse 16. Instead of using our freedom as a veil for evil, we are to live as servants of God. So again, the word live, it's not there in the original. He's still talking about submitting. Submit as servants of God. Maybe more literally, if I can push it just a little bit further, more literally as slaves of God. And if you want to back that up, read the CSB. It's, it's good on this verse here. What, what a profound way of saying that we belong entirely to God. We're his. We've been set free to belong to him to do whatever he wants. We're his slaves. Wouldn't, wouldn't so many of our problems get cleared up if we saw ourselves as slaves of God? And Peter says, live like this, submit like this. Submit to the authorities as God's free slaves. We're not looking at the government and saying, I'm, I'm enslaved to you. No, we're saying, I'm free. I belong to God. And because he says so, I freely submit because my true master, the Lord Jesus Christ, has commanded me to do so. So, how, how, how might we sum this up? How might we sum up what Peter's talking about here? And I think, I think Peter sums it up for us himself pretty well in verse 17. When he gives us four pithy, pithy means kind of punchy, short and punchy, four punchy sentences that, that direct how we should think about our relationships as slaves of God. First, what's he say in verse 17? Honor everyone. Yes, everyone, even the people you don't like, even the people on the internet whose opinions you disagree with, even the politicians whose policies you disagree with, even 
I can say this because we're in Saskatchewan. Even the current Prime Minister of Canada honor everyone. Everyone. Honor them. Because every human we look at was made in the image of God. And that image is often twisted and corrupted, but every person we look at is made in the image of God. Honor everyone. Second, love the brotherhood. Now he's calling us back to all that good stuff and earlier on in chapter 2 about, about the fact that when we've believed in Jesus and being made a part of his family. We're, we're, we're family. Brotherhood. This is family language. And, and yes, we're supposed to honor everybody, but there, there is a, a, our relationships level up when we become part of the family of God together. And there is a love that we share as the people of God that is deeper and richer than the honor that, that yes, we give to everybody. Love the brotherhood. Third, fear God. Peter's told us about fearing God back in chapter 1. The fear of God sets everything else up. The secret to loving our brothers, the secret to honoring all people, the secret to being able to freely submit to authorities is found in trembling before the Lord. And finally, moving back, you know, think of it going as steps, and then he moves back, he says, honor the emperor. No, don't fear him. Fear God. Don't fear the emperor. We fear God alone, but in the fear of God, we honor the emperor. Do you notice the word he uses for the emperor is the same word that he used for everyone? Look at, that, look at verse 17, how it opens and closes. Honor everyone, honor the emperor. So once again, Peter's doing this thing that we've got to pay attention to, that he's saying, yes, honor the emperor, but he's also cutting him down to size. Treat Caesar, the most powerful human in the world, with just the same basic respect that you would treat any other person with. So he's establishing, yeah, he's just a person, but we honor him like we honor everybody else. And if he's in that position of authority, we will subject ourselves to him. Not because he's supreme, but because God is the supreme authority. And we fear God. And we're going to do what God says. So that is today's passage. We've walked through the passage. I think we've taken some big steps to understanding the passage. I think we know enough to be able to put this into practice. It's really straightforward. Just go do it. But I know that if we were to wrap up the sermon right at this point, some of us might almost explode with the what about questions. What about? What, what about when the government tells us to do something we're not supposed to do? What if they tell us to stop worshiping God? What if they shut down the churches again? What if, what if, what if? And there's, there's some responses we can make to those questions. But before we do that, we just need to notice. When we study the Bible, we want to not only notice what the biblical authors say, but what the biblical authors don't say. Do you notice that Peter doesn't answer the what-if questions? Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, felt very content to say, submit to the government, fear God, honor the emperor, and move on. And I wonder if we just need to sit under that for a moment. 
Are we okay with this? Are, are we sometimes in too big of a rush to find the exception clauses? Yeah, but what about all the times that I don't have to do that? Because that's what really excites us. No. The fact that we sometimes want to rush past what we're told might say some things about us that we want to pay attention to. Are we okay with what we've been told? With that being said, let's acknowledge, of course, of course, Peter is operating with the assumption that if you are obeying the authorities for the Lord's sake, then when the authorities tell you to disobey the Lord, of course you don't do it. Of course. Of course, when Pharaoh says to the midwives, kill the baby boys, they fear God and they don't do that. Of course, when Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down to my golden image, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse. Of course, when Darius said, stop praying to your God, Daniel just keeps on doing it. Of course. And of course, when the Jewish leaders told Peter to stop talking about Jesus, he looks at them and says, we must obey God rather than man. Of course. And, and when Herod arrested Peter and the angel freed him from prison, Peter was right to slip away and lay low for a time. Tradition tells us Peter was ultimately arrested and crucified by Rome for his faithfulness to Jesus. And so this suggests that Peter just kept right on ignoring any command to stop talking about Jesus. So our passage today is telling us in the general course of things, we obey God by obeying the authorities. And if we look at the whole Bible, we see, yes, that even applies when the government tells us to do things that are inconvenient and unfair, like carry a soldier's load or carry a cross for someone or travel to another town for a census or pay taxes that you know are going to be used to build gladiator stadiums, all that kind of stuff. The normal course of things we obey even when we don't like it. But when there is a clear conflict between what the authorities say and God's revealed will, we know who to listen to. And up until a few years ago, what I just said was not controversial. But we know, we know, as we move into the afterword here, if you're following along in the outline, we know that what I've just said here is not just theory. We know that starting four years ago, we as a church were put through a major, major test as our obedience to God on this very topic was stretched almost to the limit. The, the week before we were shut down, I preached on Titus 3.1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Did not plan that. So you know what we're saying about God directing us through the preaching of his word? We did not plan that. And at so many times along the way, it would have been so easy to just do what was convenient, to forget about the mask. They say, just wear them in the parking lot. I mean, who cares? To forget about the capacity rules that seem to change every couple of weeks, to, to have gatherings even if we weren't supposed to. It would have been so easy. And, and you could ask, like, who would have even noticed? But God told us to submit to the authorities I mean, we do it all the time when it comes to matters of public health. We test our water every single week. We follow building codes. We have exit signs above the doors. We hire electricians instead of doing the little jobs ourselves. All things the government tells us to do. We obey seating capacity restrictions. 
Can you imagine if we said, ah, you know, fires in churches are, are very, they happen very seldom. And usually the only people who die in them are, have another sickness or they're old. So if you're not healthy enough to survive a church fire, you should stay home. And we're just going to ignore seating capacities. No one talks that way. And we said, well, we're not going to, we're not going to talk that way. And we followed our pattern right through COVID as challenging and as frustrating as it was at times. And it doesn't mean we just sat on our hands. We engaged in due process. We encouraged you to write your MLAs or our MLA at that one point when it seemed like churches were being disadvantaged in the reopening plan. And we saw later it was actually they weren't, we weren't being targeted. It was just a misunderstanding. Who said never attribute to evil what can easily be attributed to stupidity? Um, In that case, just a simple mistake. If you weren't there throughout this season and, and you want to know more about how we process those years together, you're free to check out our website. We did all kinds of writing. There's a lot of stuff there. But here we are almost four years after it all began. This is not theory to us. The message that I've preached this morning is not theory to us. This is real. We've, we've been through a lot. That's part of why I didn't want to talk about this this morning. I still feel weary in many ways. But here's the thing. I don't want us just to rest on our laurels. Ah, we did good through COVID. You know, they let us reopen. All the people who said you're never going to reopen again, they were wrong. Here we are. Good for us. We don't just want to do that. I mean, we, we could, I mean, you've heard me say this. Church, you did an amazing job through those years. But we want to ask now, what's next? What does 2024 hold for us? I wish I could predict. I mean, back when we preached on Titus 3, we didn't think what was going to happen was going to happen. Back then, when, when I preached on Titus 3, we were talking about the so-called conversion therapy ban. The way that the government was potentially going to use this very poorly written bill to muzzle churches from just teaching what the Bible says about sexuality. And as far as I can see, those storm clouds are still on the horizon. That might still happen. We need to be prepared at any point to say we must obey God rather than man. And in the years ahead, as a church, we may face some pretty stiff repercussions for that. We have to be prepared for that. But honestly, we don't know what challenge is going to be next. We can't predict. But what we can do today is make sure, you and I, each one of us, that we are living and submitting as people who are free. Free to belong to the Lord Jesus. And we're not using our freedom to cover up evil, but we are submitting to human authority as slaves of God. And we get to do that. And we get to do that today. You know, you know when the next time you might get to do that is? It's the next time you go to the store and buy something. Look at your receipt. Look at the GST. I'm serious. That's money you're paying to the government coffers because you have to. Except that you're not doing it because you have to. You're doing it because King Jesus told you to submit. And you get to look at that receipt and say, this is for you, Jesus. Every little tiny opportunity we have, I encourage you, think through your week. Think through the opportunities you will have this week to do what the government wants you to do. Children and teenagers, maybe if you think about authorities, maybe the most immediate authority for you is your parents. You get to do that this week. Submit to your parents, maybe especially when they're asking you to do something that doesn't make sense to you. 
And in that moment, you take a breath and before you say, okay, dad, or okay, mom, or before you look at the receipt and, and swipe your card, or before you pay your taxes, or before you slow down in the school zone, convicted, what, whatever, whatever it is, we get to pause and say, Jesus, this is for you. This is for you, Jesus. See, here's, here's the good news of today's passage. Every time that you submit to the authorities, even in small ways, you have a fresh opportunity to acknowledge the dominion of Jesus over your life. You have a fresh opportunity to acknowledge. You've been free to be God's slaves. You have a fresh opportunity to not just mindlessly comply, but to gladly submit for the honor of Jesus' name. And what that means is that some of the most mundane things that we do are fresh opportunities to worship. Opportunities to acknowledge the reign of Jesus over our life. Would you ask him for his help to do that today? To enter this new year with the banner of King Jesus flying over your life? We're going to do that together here in a moment as we sing. But before then, let's pray. Jesus, we acknowledge that if we have believed in you and have followed you and know that we've been saved by you, then we belong to you. You're our king and you are the Lord. No human person is the Lord, it's you. And because you've told us to, because it brings honor to your name, we want to gladly choose to subject ourselves to whatever legitimate human authority we find ourselves under. Jesus, I'm asking that you would help us to see places even this week where we get to do that and that we would have joy in acknowledging you as our king in those moments. That we would have joy in doing what we do in those moments for the sake of your name. Lord, would you help us? You, you know what's next. In 2024, you know what's next for us as a church, whether it be more challenges whether it be a season of peace, which we would pray for. Whatever's ahead, we march under your banner, O King Jesus. And Good Shepherd, we ask you to be with us every step of the way. For the sake of your